I'd probably tell us to go fuck off. Yeah, because right? you need know, to make money. Yeah, dude. it's like I'm just trying to close yeah. deals. What are some of the things outside of ads that you're like two x if you're doing this, but if you're doing this, it could be at ten x? What are some of those things? It's literally always the sales team or the constant friction between marketing and sales. Some of the big things on the sales process side, is it like- um, They're not calling the leads within the first five to 10 minutes of the leads coming in. So it's appointment setters you're including inside a of that. Appointment setters, 100%, yeah. And most of the time, there's gonna be a no-show rate. Most of the time, there's gonna be calls that get canceled. And then, so let's say you only have three calls in your calendar that day. Well, how else are you managing your time? Are you actually following up with the leads that you didn't close the first time? Are you actually reaching out to the leads that are coming in with your closers and with your appointment setters? Tell me what is one decision that you've made that has made all other decisions in your business easier? <laughs> I would say something, but the camera's already rolling. I don't necessarily want to sell the business, but I realized if it's built on me, that is a cap and a limitation. So now it's about building systems. Many business owners are managing their own companies. When they could establish their own additional company that's called a management company. Investing in myself so that I can decide in what order I should be doing things. So Brian, I asked everybody the exact same question as the first question on here. What was one of the simplest things you've done for your business that has made everything else easier for you? Mm, that's a good question. One of the simplest things I've done for my business that has made everything else easier for me was just leaning into my zone of genius. I think for me, my biggest asset is marketing, networking, as well as creating content. Yeah, Those are the three things that I really love doing and I'm really good at. Um, whereas operations and even though I know at a high level what I need to do to scale, that's never the thing that I love doing the most. So when I just accept, accepted that, like, okay, let me you know, bring Nick on, on my team, who's also my partner, uh, with operations, which is a finance background, um, and gave him that responsibility and also just us working together, everything made way much more sense for us as an agency. Yeah, and I'm super excited to go into this. I mean, you, you guys manage over $2 million a month in ad spend. You've worked with people like Dean Graziosi and like you guys have an incredibly successful agency and I think you're launching the coaching program as well, which is super awesome. But for the, like going back to the operations side of things, you talk about, you know, knowing your zone of genius and mm. it's marketing, right? And you say like, hey, you hired this person on the operations side. Did Usually when someone talks about that and when I ask that question, there's typically like this catalyst point where it's like you were doing it, then you yeah. realize like, I can't do this anymore. And yeah. then you found the part. Was that something that for you with operations? Yeah, it was because I just had to drop my ego, you know? I, I feel like a lot of people, at least in my situation, it was basically... You know, when I started, I, I was doing it all by myself, obviously. Like, you have to. You have to learn the things sure. to get to where you want to go. But it was probably, like, last year I was like, you know what? I like doing this a lot more, and my highest ROI activity is creating content, uh, networking, speaking, and honestly, just being able to do the marketing for the brand, which is what I'm the best at for the company. And with Nick, he was always, you know, he's been with me since day one. I met him back in college, actually, at Arizona State University. So we've been friends even before the business. But he came from a finance background. He's he's always looking at efficiency. And that finally just appealed to me when I was one day just stuck in the weeds of like, you know, building out uh, things that I, I knew at a high level how I can picture it. But I was like, I don't know how to do this, but I'm still doing it. And like a whole weeks go by and I'm like, 
And then like Nick comes in and does it in like a day. <laughs> a day. Yeah. So that was probably like almost a year ago for sure. I would have definitely at least a year ago considered myself like a marketing first entrepreneur, mm -hmm. right? And only this year do I feel more like I have a robust company and it's not just like a marketing, like my face essentially. Yeah. And so when you made that transition into the operations and you found that person internally, were you just like, hey, this is your responsibilities. These are my responsibilities. Like, and then I'm just going to go out and be the face and get clients and you're just going to run the operations. Like, how did you delegate out? Because operations is such a broad term, right? Yeah. So like, how did you decide out, you do this and I do that? Yeah, well, it was funny because I took a, I mean, I've taken the current campaign personality type test like four times in my life, uh, six, uh, 16 personalities. Sure. The free one, right? Uh, Myers-Briggs. And every single time I got the same thing, campaigner, 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 campaigner. I start things really well. I get inspiration, I launch it, I can market it. And then it's like the focus starts to dwindle a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit after the months. And that has been a constant pattern in my life, right? Um, which is, you know, some people would consider that a bad thing, I'm sure. Um, but for me, it's like, I'm really good at creating things from scratch and then taking it to market from what people want. And then I, I'm, I'm selling it, right? And then I just iterate on the product after that. But for what I realized to answer your question was, it was basically like, Nick, you're always bringing up ideas to improve the efficiency of the business. Whereas I'm always like brute force, like positive, we're going to get it done anyways, no matter what, it's going to happen. And he's more of like the reasonable, logical person where it's like, yeah, but I think we can do it better like this. And I'm just like, ah, but it was always a good friction between us. So it wasn't ever a bad thing. It was always like him trying to improve the efficiency of the business so that we could scale, so that we can make our lives easier. Um, and I just had to pass down everything from my head when it comes to media buying, with creative, with YouTube ads specifically, into systems to Nick so that way we can delegate it over to our team. And it's still coming from me though, the marketer. So for the, so how many, so you guys are managing around $2 million a month in ad spend for the agency. How many clients is that like between? Yeah, just 10 clients. 10 clients, yeah. wow. Okay, so for 10 clients, like, is most of the operation stuff that you're dealing with right now, is it around managing those ads or is it more around like, hey, you're looking to actually scale the agency and you don't have systems around acquiring more clients? Like where, where was the operational complexity really bottlenecking you? Well, so we just made that transition like within the last, I would say, four months, just capping the agency. Because the problems we ran into were the systems around, okay, well, not there's no, there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all for done-for-you agency. Yeah. Right? And you know this better than anybody. It's like, Clients come in with this type of funnel, that type of funnel, or, you know, this type of niche, this type of offer, and their, their systems are lacking. They don't have a sales team sometimes. So it's never like a, hey, we're just going to give you this package, right? And for us, it was like, well, I started the agency in the first place because I wanted to essentially partner with other experts that I truly believed in their product and give them my time and attention and my skill set, which has always been being one of their best team members almost internally but as an agency, and we've now done that, being able to partner with a lot of high-level experts, some friends that we know, obviously, that we're good friends with. And we said, okay, we're going to cap it. And that's going to make me go into my zone of genius, which is the marketing and the creative. Because I've been able to be behind the scenes working with, you know, like the names you mentioned earlier. And nobody really has that experience to see a company go from 15 employees to almost 100 employees, mm -hmm. you know, at scale. And with, you know, paid ads as the main acquisition source. So for me, I was like, okay, well, if we can just do that and have a smaller team, more profits, right? Uh, more fun for me too. And then go into the education piece as well, which is more impact. 
well, that's the best of both worlds. So, I, and I love, this is a great lesson for everyone on here around like, you know, not having to acquire clients at scale, right? I think even this year for me, uh, January, right? It's funny, we're at the end of the year, but at January of this year, I made the decision like, all right, you know, I'd been in the marketing, like I said, marketing acquisition game for three and a half years at that point. And look, I'm not knocking on ads or acquisitions, but you do kind of realize at some point, all right, the solution of where I want to go, or at least peace in my life and like and not stress is not in the acquisition of new clients and churning and burning on a, yeah. a monthly basis. So like for you guys, like d when you made that transition to the 10 yeah. clients, like first of all, are you paid a percentage of ad spend on your current clients? So like, is there a sliding scale on that? And second of all, like was the goal at that point then, okay, on the agency side, we're going to do the 10 clients, mm -hmm. but then the coaching, that's what we're going to be able to scale up. Like, I guess my question is, if you want to make more money, what what are your vehicles and yeah. like modalities you're going to use in order to do that? Yeah, I remember very specifically, we were in-house in Phoenix, Arizona. I had a team of seven people, including myself, and we were at uh, a point where we were at, I think, almost 25 clients total being managed between all of us. In, in an office? You guys worked in an office? Yeah. Oh, so, wow, interesting. So I started in it's Arizona. It's like one of the few people that I talked to that actually had an in-person office. All in-house. Okay. I wanted everybody in-house, cool. full-time, you know, just living, breathing, and eating adspend.com. <laughs> and we were doing it. And it was awesome. It was the most fun. It was one of the most fun times as well. But it was also one of the most stressful because I was learning new skills as a leader, as a manager, having to step into these new roles like we were talking about earlier. And I remember at one point, it was like this constant game of new client comes, client leaves, new client comes, client leaves. And that was an opportunity at that time to improve our, you know, our product. And we also developed like really getting crystal clear on who our ideal avatar was because we were taking on clients that at that point, you know, this was not even that long ago. I've only been doing this for almost two and a half years. It's going to be three years in March full-time adspend.com, which is long to some people, uh, short to other people. In the internet world, it feels like it's forever. But it feels in, like it's forever. In, in, like, in every other business, yeah. it's you're just starting, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and dude, it felt like we were literally a startup and we still are. But at that point, right, um, it was like a decision we had to make of like, okay, well, this is going to be something that we keep running into unless we fix, number one, who we're working with, Number one, if they're a good fit to actually scale with paid ads, because most people who want us to come in and run their YouTube ads and help them scale. They don't need paid ads. They don't need paid ads. <laughs> they, they're not even doing the, the, the basic things, right? The yeah. organic, the, the, the appointment setters, they're not even doing any of that. And it's like, man, what are we going to come in and just run ads to this funnel that you think is working to organic, but it's not going to work at scale? So it was a lot of those other services that I saw we had to add on. And I'm like, well, we could do that. But the complexity around that is going to be, okay, more team members in-house, uh, less profits, and ultimately building, you know, a full-service agency, which is what uh, a lot of people do. And and I think that's a path for most people too. It's a really good path. For me, I was like, well, why don't we keep it better quality clients, right? Higher upside for us to spend the time going deeper with these clients, which gets them better results, gives them a better client experience, and us you know, has, has the ability to have the incentive. And it's funny because the reason I started this agency in the first place is because when I was working for my last job, there was no incentive. I was just on a flat fee. And that's exactly what was happening to us at our agency back then too. There was just a flat fee. And so you always have to focus on client acquisition at that point if you want to yeah. scale. And so now, you know, we charge a monthly based service fee, uh, a high ticket monthly based service fee, plus a percentage of net profit. So we're incentivized to scale them based off net profit, minus the expenses, minus the closers commissions. So we're really coming in as a, you know, basically essentially a growth partner with ads, right? We're their advertising partner when it comes to YouTube ads. And then obviously in Q1 of next year, we'll be rolling out TikTok ads because it's a 
perfect complimentary service for us because we're really good at creating the cold traffic video that's going to get them qualified leads into their funnel and then helping them fix these sales processes that we've worked with with other you know entrepreneurs as well. Oh man, two huge things I want to unpack. That was awesome. Uh, I want to talk about the percentage of gross profit and I love that, how we define that. Net profit. Uh, net profit, sorry, net profit. How we define that in a moment. The thing I want to talk about first and I think this will be a lesson to everybody here. This is even something we just recently did in our business, right? It's so funny because in the beginning or at least when you're starting to scale and acquire people, you think that by saying yes to as many people as possible, you are getting as much cash as yeah. possible, right? And ironically, you are in the short term, yeah. right? And and that's great. But after you've gone through a few hundred or a few thousand clients as we have, you start to realize like, okay, it's so funny how getting the right clients early on, like from the moment that they get on the sales call with you, can make everything else yeah. so much simpler, yeah. so much easier, AKA so much more profitable, right? And so for us, what we did, and I even did this as recently as 60 days ago, like, cause we used to give our sales guys kind of leeway a little bit. We'd be like, yeah, yeah, just make sure that they have product market fit mm. or make sure that, you know, just make sure they know what they're doing, right? <laughs> Except for you gotta think, sales guys are uh, incentive based, right? Yeah. So they're, they're literally just gonna be incentivized to close a deal. So if it's on the edge, they'll just lean on the side of letting them through because Yep. they get paid on that and the consequence of that they might not see and I'm, I don't think our sales guys did anything unintentional and I'm not saying that we had all these terrible clients but I did very quickly realize that the game was not going to be around acquisition. I realized mm. it was going to be around renewals, mm. referrals, ascensions, yeah. all of that so I wanted to improve that and so what we did I was like okay but if you give our client's desk manager a dud right mm. this person has no idea their offer shit there's no way, I don't care who, if it was me working with them, that you're going to be able to turn that around. Yeah. So we created, uh, I created this one-page document. We call it the one-pager. And it literally says like, okay, to work with this, you have to have at least a minimum of $8,000 monthly recurring revenue the last 90 days, at least five happy clients being onboarded a month mm. through sales calls. Uh, you need to uh, have at least $1,000 cash per acquisition. Your sales cycle needs to be less than 45 days. And all of a sudden, we... Of the people that uh, apply to book a call with us, less than 10% of people we actually speak to. Yeah. So it's like a huge disqualification. So up front, it was less cash, but right now we're hitting and mm. like our clients are getting results. Yeah. And I just think I wanted to harp on that for a moment because I think a lot of people sleep on the fact that the quality of the clients that you're signing really has more to do with the success of your program than your actual like delivery itself. And yeah. were you guys, when you said back in the beginning, like, were you guys just signing people because they were like, yeah, I just want ads. And you guys were like, all right, you have a credit card, which Dude, is no just, shame in the game yeah. in that. That was what it was. But then you had to make the change. They just wanted to work with us. They were yeah. they were all coming from word of mouth and referrals. Our client acquisition system at that point was literally just word of mouth referrals from high level guys. Yeah. Like high level clients that were saying, anyone, anytime one of our clients heard someone needed YouTube ads, I would get a text. Yeah. And then I would be like, okay, well, they want to work with us. They're kind of a good fit. We can probably help them. And then it exposed when we ran ads, all of the other problems in their business. And so, yeah, we were saying yes to other people that maybe weren't the best fit looking back now. But at that time, to be honest, you know, I didn't even have the understanding truly from a from a, uh, a sales perspective of like their sales funnel and their systems on the back end when we drive these leads aren't even going to be able to close them. So it's like there's no point in running ads to this. So it was honestly like 
ignorance in that point. So how, how did you, t- how do you test that now? How do you know like, okay, when we're, cause we have that one pager. So yeah. how are you like, yeah. all right, this person. We have literally a, a one page do you as uh, well? image. It's called the uh, ideal avatar for adspend.com. Okay. We've named him Mark Wright. He's in a suit. Like we have all <laughs> the psychographics of how he thinks as a person, because it's one thing to have a client who's going to have everything on paper of like, you know, they have this checked off, but it's also like, What's their mindset like, yep. right? We don't want to work with a client who's going to be passive aggressive in the in the Slack channel, but then nice to us over Zoom. It's like kind of two faced at that point, right? Or Agreed. all these other things that just we don't really uh, agree with as a client. So we have literally a one pager listed out of what we want in a client, and that saved us a lot of like. We look at it on the sales call. We review it as a team as well, especially for the agency. So it's a two-call close anyways. First call is always discovery, seeing if we can do it. And then strategy for the second call. And then obviously we'll close them at that point. And we have the same thing in ours. It's not just like these like numbers you have to hit. It's also like, like do you understand that this is going to be a journey of us yeah. working together? Do you know that this isn't going to be a get rich quick? We're going to do our best, but like, you know, it might take two weeks longer. You know, we have a saying in our company, which is, you know, uh, double the time, double the cost. And I'm not saying that's what happens in uh, our clients at all, but I'm just saying that most people totally underestimate how much it's going to cost or how much time it's going to take. And so I think it's just nicer to work with people who are more long-term vision as far as what they do. And like speaking of that as well, you know, if, if I'm listening to this right now and I was two years ago and I was like getting my business, we were just making some money. I'd probably tell us to go fuck off. Yeah. I'm just trying to close yeah. deals. <laughs> I think that at a certain level, like you just have to have enough cash in the bank. Yeah. Like, and you're just, you're, you get out of like Mavlov's hierarchy of needs. You get out of this, like I'm scr- trying to, f- freaking make rent next month yeah. and make payroll next month and you start to look more towards the future of like all right I don't need this money exactly. I don't have to work with yeah. you so like let me find the best clients and then those are more likely to renew ascend etc cetera, etc cetera. well it's funny dude we literally went through a client sheet just on Google Sheets of like we listed out all of our clients in the last uh, I think we did this like maybe four, six months ago and it was like all the clients listed on a Google Sheet that we've ever worked with and we just ranked them like from one to almost like 75 at that point I think it was and then it's like, dude, what what are the top 10 clients that made us the most money that stay with us the longest have that these other ones don't? And we just literally, it was right there on paper and that created that one pager. And we're like, why don't we just go, f- do we believe truly that there's, there's at least a thousand plus more people just like this, 100%. Why don't we just become the boutique advertising agency who's the best at partnering with these types of experts and deliver this service that they don't have in-house and we just become their their advertising arm? And, you know, that's made it more fun for us. So, yeah, it's – but, yeah, when you're just starting off, just like I did and like we talked about, I mean, dude, yeah, you got to make money too, so. Man, I, I'm sure people who listen to this, they might be your clients. They want to know where they rank on that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That'll never be We sure. might have the leaked <laughs> documents on here and show it uh, in the show notes below. And the other thing that we did – was to take this a step further, not only the avatar one pager and and, because we did something similar, like identify Mm -hmm. our best clients, but then we started, like, so we use Hyros, right? So then we started looking back, what was the journey that they took? Mm. What were the sales assets they consumed? Did they go to this VSL? Did they download this free course? They get this, like, you know, uh, PDF, this pitch deck, and where was the original source? And the other thing that we noticed was, man, 80%, especially for our higher level program, 80% of our clients come from organic YouTube, Mm. right? So like just pure organic YouTube videos that I've been making for three plus years now, which just further solidified 
our push 2023, we're going to be putting out uh, 30 long form YouTube videos every single month. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I just, it just, I was like, okay, these are where the best clients are. And I still love paid ads and we still spend quite a bit of money on paid ads. But I think the combination of the organic and the paid together, like you and I were talking about the the is going to be huge, which we'll talk about in a moment. The other thing I want to touch on, because I just want to shake every single advertising agency's owner's <laughs> like head whenever they tell me they charge percentage of ad spend. Oh, dude. And I love that you talk about percentage of, of net profit. Yeah. So I want to talk about this because there's a lot of agencies that listen to this right now. So you did exactly what – so I used to run an ads agency back in the day, um, and we obviously sure transitioned. Yeah, yeah, everyone's done it at least <laughs> once. Everyone, Every marketer has, right? And we transitioned to what we are today, but – you know, one of the things that if I was still around today, I would do exactly what you're doing, which is like very specific clients yep. with a lot of upside mm-hmm. uh, and a percentage of not uh, ad spend because that's not incentivizing anybody, right? Yes. But a percentage of net profit. So a few questions for you is like, number one, how are you defining profit, yep. right? And then number two, what do you, how are you tracking profit? And then number three is uh, like, is it a tiered level of profit mm-hmm. or is it just like flat profit uh, from any source? Yeah, great question. So how we define it is very simple, right? Right? So net profit is defined as revenue driven by only our advertising campaigns that's trackable back to Hyros. Okay. Right? So Hyros is our like bulletproof third-party tracking software. We're also an agency partner of Hyros as well. Um, and so every client that comes on to work with us, if they don't have it, they have to get it, number one. But number two is the campaigns that we produce that say adspend.com, those are the campaigns that the revenue gets minus from, right? So nothing in the business that's not ours, only the revenue that we're driving. And then the revenue gets minus by the ad spend that the client puts up, right? So revenue minus ad spend that the client puts up in the 30-day window, then minus the actual operating expenses. And operating expenses can be usually defined between sales, closers, commissions. Most people pay their sales team, appointment setters 5%, closers 10%, whatever the case may be. Um, and then we'll may, we might throw in five extra percent. So maybe it's 20%. It just depends on the business, right? Sure. Uh, but we'd be very clear that, you know, hey man, like, Maybe it doesn't make sense to buy a boat like this month <laughs> yeah. because then it's gonna deduct from the operating. So ex- would you? Would you? We just count? have to have that conversation yeah, with the client. Front. Yeah, okay. it's like this is the terms, and here's what we're gonna agree upon together to make sure that we're both in alignment with what's to come, right? Because then, luckily, we haven't had to run into that problem. But I've heard stories of of why that can happen. So. Does that make sense for how you define it? Yeah, I think that's, and I just want to touch on that for one more moment because like even uh, employees that I've had that we've done profit share with, you know, I've just learned so much from doing this stuff and you just learn from your mistakes and, you know, you just, oh, percentage of profit share, but then it's like, okay, well, is this dinner, like, you know, let's, uh, so when we went out to dinner together yeah, yeah. and I met everybody and I took care of dinner that night, it's like, would that be considered a business expense? Like, I would argue it would because, like, of course, I got a network, but that's probably yeah. why we're sitting here yeah. right now. Uh, but then, like, the guy that's not sitting there at dinner, does it count? So, you know, it's, I think, a big rookie mistake I see people make is it's just like, oh, yeah, percentage of profit. But I think really defining it, like, do you define it in the proposal when you're going to send the clients? Yeah, we, we literally have a, we have our lawyer to have, like, three drafted agreements, dude, where it's like pretty much defined pretty specifically. And the cool part is going back to what you said earlier about like the ad spending, we used to charge percentage of ad spend too. I think you have to learn from those things where the incentive isn't even off, right? You just don't even know, but like, yeah, you should never charge percentage of ad spend because it's incentivizing just to spend more. Uh, And then revenue, there's always costs in the business, which isn't going to make the client feel good either. Sure. So this is like that best medium where, and they're both guaranteed by the way. So if we don't make you back the ad spend that you put up as the client, plus our fee, we give you back the fee. Beautiful. Plus we only work with clients that are going to not have to worry about sure. that. Plus the net profit too is 
at a certain point of net profit. Uh, we we have a cap right now, and, and I don't want to say specifics because we might raise it, but yeah. but it's like we once you hit a certain percentage of net profit, that's when that 10% kicks in. Okay. So it's not going to be just off of everything sometimes. So it makes it very fair for the client. Um, and again, each case is different, but we found that this 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 agency offer, and I'm, I'm literally just giving it away pretty much, but this is probably the best one that we found that it incentivizes the clients to also keep working with us too. Yeah, I mean, you are, and I appreciate you sharing with it, and you are giving it away, and I, I love that kind of value, but it's anybody can say, I'll give you percentage of profit. The question is, like, do you have the skills to make them enough money that you're going to get that percentage of profit? Which right? is why Which is you also, game. And, and you also have to be picky about the clients you work with too. You have to have the skills because if they don't get results, it doesn't matter what your deal structure looks like. Yeah. So true 100%. Hey guys, really quickly, if you're getting value out of this, please be sure to share it wherever you share things. Share it with your friends, your colleagues, your employees, share it to somebody that you know needs to hear this message. We put an incredible amount of work into these videos and these episodes for you. And all I ask in return is for simply to share to somebody else that wants to hear that or needs to hear this message. All right, let's get back to it. Um, let's transition a little bit and talk about some ads, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I want to learn. I know some other people that are on here that want to learn as well. So uh, your main like domain of expertise, YouTube ads, right? Yep. And I, I, I probably want to talk about TikTok kind of closer to the end because I am curious about that as well. But so YouTube ads, obviously most of your clients are high ticket. They're selling something through a webinar or VSL, yep. right? Okay. And that leads to a call funnel. Yep. So when you're working with clients, um, let's say you sign on somebody and uh, whatever, they meet the one page requirements, but I don't know what everything is, but like, what are some of the first things that you're going to do if they already have a campaign that's running and that's successful versus like if they're starting from scratch? Because a lot of your clients, are they already running ads? It's like half and half. Okay, so okay. Yeah, you'd be surprised. Most of them, they they either aren't, like for example, right? Um, One of our good friends, Brandon Carter, right? He's tried with ads in the past um, and just really didn't get it to work with YouTube specifically, we came in, he already had an ads account, but there was nothing running right now. So we started from scratch. Um, but if we came into an account that was already running and they had some things working, they wanted to scale it. For example, Sarah Turner, she's uh, teaching cop teaching everyday people how to become a copywriter, right? Really amazing offer, really amazing uh, a client. I love working with Sarah. She already had ads running. She was at about a 2x return on ad spend, but wasn't getting the same return that she was on Facebook. And she just didn't have the means to focus on it. She has a really good team. And we came in and we're like, okay, we'll just focus on YouTube for you. And, you know, everything that was working, we don't touch it. We only create new campaigns. That way it's, again, attributable back to what we come in and produce. Yeah. And ultimately we've learned this lesson the hard way. Uh, I won't name any names, but like back when we were, you know, just getting off the ground, um, we came into an ad account and we took it over. Basically the guy was running it on his own and one of my media buyers at the time essentially tweaked one of the existing campaigns and all of a sudden like the ad account got disapproved. It was, oh, geez. At that point though, it was a shady offer to be honest. Yeah. It was a shady offer and a little bit of a market that is very non-compliant dating relationships. And that just, everything started downward spiraling from there. And like, even though it technically like, how are you going to blame us for like tweaking a campaign yeah. and then all of a sudden it triggers the disapprovals, sure. right? And then everything starts going down. All I say that to say is that We've learned that lesson the hard way. When we come in to take over an ads account, we keep what's working working. We always eliminate what's not, obviously, but then we start our own campaigns from scratch. And are you are you like building off of it though? Oh, are you yeah. looking at the 100%. data? So like what do you look at to know like yeah. we should do more of this and less of that? Yeah. So it's always like 
very simple if you think about it and break it out, right? So for example, right, we come into an ads account. The first thing we do before we even sign the client is an audit, right? So we audit their ads account. It's usually like a three to five page Google document of like, here's the strategy we're going to come in and implement. Typically it's like, okay, here's what's working. Here's what's not working. Here's what we're going to do immediately to start turning things around. Um, so for example, with Sarah, right, uh, there was tracking that was, uh, they weren't even using Hyros. Immediate high ROI right there for yeah, the business, boom. right? Because uh, you just need to see, especially with a high ticket call funnel, where the ads are actually spending and getting conversions. Um, so that was immediate value add. Uh, fixing the tracking immediately is going to solve a lot of problems. Number two, it was the same ads running uh, for the last like you know year or so, and they didn't refresh any ads, right? So I was like, okay, immediate ads refresh based off what was already working. This is the hook that's working. Let's create about five to 10 iterations of this and make five to 10 more, right? So creative refresh, tracking solidified, and then the targeting. Typically when we take over an ads account, it's always the same things. The, and, and this is not anyone's fault. It's just the time sometimes spent on other places of the business. The person that was running it at that time was strapped between doing Facebook ads, managing the team, the sales team, all this other stuff. And on top of that, running YouTube ads. So there just wasn't that much focus. Um, and so we came in and we said, okay, the targeting is very, you know, basic for for lack of a better word uh they were using you know a strategy that just was so outdated and uh was like taught three years ago and we're like okay well this doesn't work anymore so we're going to immediately redo the targeting find better audiences based off what your actual headline of the landing page says put those into custom segment audiences relaunch the whole new campaign from scratch and we basically created five new ads five new campaigns launched those and uh and within 30 days like we literally were beating their last performance of the last few months. Wow. So it's 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 like a mix of, to break it all down very tactically, right? We come in, we immediately audit what's working, what's not working. We put it on a three to five, three to five page Google document. Typically, there's always a creative refresh that needs to happen because they're just not spending enough money and testing more ads. What I've learned working with Dean Graziosi full-time back when I was working for him he would film a new ad every other week. I mean, sorry, every week, one ad per week minimum. And that was because we were spending, you know, $30,000 a day at one point, right? And we had, to, we had to keep refreshing the ads. That's the only way to scale with YouTube ads is to keep testing new creatives, especially now that targeting is totally different than what it used to be. You can't target specific videos anymore. You know this. Yeah. You can't target specific channels anymore. You are no longer going to target specific keywords. keywords. So everything is more AI-based and you have to, really scale through creative, which just makes the marketers that are gonna be good and take advantage of that really shine. The marketers that are gonna rely on old outdated methods, not shine at all. And how do you how do you test new creatives, right? I guess that's a question I always get all the time and we have our own system for it, but like, all right, you're running a campaign, it's an ad group, it's working that audience, you know it's crushing, you have a new creative, do you just duplicate the campaign in ad groups, start it at $100 a day and start testing it? And you and I talked about this at dinner yeah. a little bit, but just for people that are here, what's like your, uh, what's your SOP for testing new creatives? We always duplicate it, man. I mean, again, like going back to the example earlier, what's working, you don't really touch it, right? Yeah. You just either spend more budget or you or you duplicate it and you want to change something else. So if we have a campaign that's working, let's say spending $500 a day and we have a whole new set of ads, we'll just duplicate that campaign, put that five new ad sets or put those five new ads into a brand new campaign with a brand new ad group, remove all those old camp, uh, all those old ads, put the new ones in and let it run side Do by side. Do you feel that YouTube, because whenever I put like more than two inside of one ad group, I feel like YouTube very quickly will decide which one it thinks is the winner and 
and start spending all the money on that. And like we talked about earlier, great lesson for everyone here, the attribution is usually atrocious on YouTube. Yeah. So YouTube's like, this is the best ad based on conversions, but of course it's conversions are 80% off. So like, do you guys feel like putting five inside of there is the best way to do it? Like, is it because maybe Hyros is sending the data back? But like, why are you doing five in one ad group? Because I've always been worried that it's going to select the wrong one and start scaling that one up. Well, typically what we found is it's funny, the best ad that always spends the most money typically is the one that's getting the most conversions. Doesn't mean it's the highest ROI. Doesn't mean it's the highest LTV in terms of Hyros. Like Hyros has the new great feature, right? It can show you the ad that's giving you the highest LTV 30, 60, 90 days out, which is a really good tool for everybody listening. But when we do five ads, like there's always gonna be one that gets 80% of the budget. The other two are gonna, the other three or four are gonna get like maybe 20%. But then what we do is we just duplicate that one again and then pause the other ones that, pause the one that is getting the most spend or the two that are getting the most spend, keep those in their own campaign. We just scale by duplication horizontally. Got it, yeah. okay. Makes a whole lot of sense. And I wanna, you, you talked about a few other things as well that I, I wanna unpack. So you t uh, obviously creative, I can't stress how important that is. Yeah, it's like, I mean, even on Facebook ads, I think people sleep on how important the creative is and how much it can, like not the targeting, not the landing page. Uh, the creative can make or break your entire campaign and testing new ones. And I, and I think we should even be testing new creatives some more ourselves. But let's go to the audience side of things. Like um, there's always a million options when it comes to YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, people who listen to this, like, I even in scaling with systems, we set up campaigns and we'll run the, run them for our clients. We don't even touch YouTube because it's just like it's a monster, yeah. right? And, and especially if you've never done it before, it's like I would say conservatively ten times harder than Facebook. Facebook is yeah. easier to get started with, especially if you're not as sophisticated. Exactly. Yeah. Now YouTube, I think, is better for scaling. Yeah. Like you can go 300, 800, 900, then back and down to four hundred. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the it doesn't. Facebook's like you know that's the girlfriend that you just like you know you're very careful around. <laughs> you know you say the wrong thing and but uh, for YouTube and the audience targeting, talk to me about some of the stuff you guys do. Like so, uh, do you guys do income targeting? Uh, so oh, let's yeah. Say, yeah. yeah. So always, what is the so for those of you that aren't listening, one of the most powerful parts about you. YouTube is you can say, hey, I want you to run ads to people that are only in the top 10% yep. of household incomes, 20%, 30%, 40% or lower than 50. So what's the ones, like let's say you got a $5,000, $10,000 offer. Which one of those like income targetings are you using and are you testing those? Yeah, you all? always remove lower 50%, always remove 41 to 50%, always remove 30 to 40%. Like it's got to be top 30% only, yeah. right? And then like I, I looked at this last night actually. Top 10% is about people making $146,000 and above per year. Yeah, I was going to say, it's so important that you said that because some people, you know, sometimes we live in this bubble where you think like top 10% of like guys like us or people that are running online businesses, you think, oh, those people are probably making, you know, 300, half a million, a million dollars a year. But no, you're talking about top 30% of the United States, yes. which could be like, 90 grand a year yeah. take home, which is no disrespect to those people. But if you're selling something for 15, 20 grand, that's a significant part of their budget. Exactly. So to sell a high ticket 5000 to $10,000 coaching program, <laughs> someone that has that kind of money, you know, without having to worry about it is top 20% for sure. They're usually making anywhere from 75 and above, right? They have disposable income. So we always do top 30%. Uh, and then when it comes to, yeah, for household income specifically, that's always the caveat we have to add. And, and I, the, the next thing, I think you were almost transitioning yourself was like the custom segments, custom audiences, yeah. custom intent, right? So, you know, we personally always run uh, custom affinity. I just mm -hmm. feel like there's so much scale there, right? Uh, but there's also custom intent. And for those of you that are, I've never run YouTube ads, another thing about YouTube ads is 
There's custom intent, which I think it's actually the opposite. I think custom intent, you could correct me wrong. I think that means that they were looking at products similar uh, to it. Custom intent is what they're searching for. Okay. Yeah. I thought that when I read it online, I always get it mixed up. It, it says it on Google, so that's why I get it right. Okay. So custom intent means like, so let's say you're selling, uh, I don't know, uh, is shoes. Is scaling with systems legit? Exactly. Right? Is Boom. scaling with systems legit? You put that inside of there and then people are typing that into Google. Yes. And so, you're, so which ads do you guys typically run whenever you take over an audience or which ones do you see work best? Is it custom intent or custom affinity? And then how do you know what keywords and words to put inside of there? Yeah, custom intent's always the main one we go after immediately. Now, when we start with five campaigns, right, the typical breakdown of it looks like this. We usually have two custom search, two custom affinity, like you were saying, and I'll, I'll talk about which those are in a second, and then one custom, what's called like websites, right? So custom affinity, like you said, is basically based off interests and similar topics, right? And what they're actually uh, interested in. And then custom intent is what they're actually searching for on Google, and then the next time they're on YouTube, your ad shows before the next video they play. Uh, and then custom websites is basically Put in a website, a domain, a URL that's similar, that you want us to find people that are similar to people browsing this specific website. So it's two custom intent, two custom affinity, one custom websites. Um, and how we do it is we take the headline that's typically based off of the actual landing page, and then we come up with the how-tos that got to that headline. So for example, um, you know, for you, easy one would be like the one that's always usually the most profitable from the very beginning is how to keywords. These are 10 to 15 keywords with how to systematize my business, how to uh, get more coaching clients, how to uh, close more high ticket. Are sales. you putting all 15 of those in one? Uh, we group segment? them out, right? Okay. So like if I, if I, those are like three different like categories, categories if you will. right? Yeah. So those are three different types of custom uh, intent audiences. Sure. And there's 10 to 15 of those similars in each of them. So for the how to systematize my business, I would then say how to uh, get better at operations. How right? to create a standard operating procedure. Boom. 100%. Related to systems and operations and SOPs. That's one group, right? And then typically uh, what you do is you do obviously different topics of those. Um, and then with custom affinity, so we found that, you know, more like I would say broader keywords, three to five keywords work better, not long tail. Long tail is like, you know, five to 10 keywords, right? So it's like how to systematize my business and do this. Like that's a long tail keyword. Yeah. With custom affinity, three to five keywords, or sorry, three to five words. So for example, like scaling with systems, that would be a type of really good custom affinity keyword to put in. And then we do, we do at least five to 10 of those in a custom affinity. We found that's the best mix. Man. And then for custom websites, we found three to five. Three to five different websites in one in thing. One. Yeah, because yeah. I've done that before. We've done like Hyros before as a website. Yep. I've done Zapier before as a yep. website. So Hyros, and then you would put like Hyros, you would put Segmetrics, you would put a bunch of other All tracking, tracking softwares, softwares, softwares yeah. in one. And do you guys ever layer anything? Like so, I uh, and I know it's less and less now that there's no keywords, no placements, but like would you do like this audience uh, and matches this audience yeah. as well? Like you're talking about uh, combined? Combined uh, segments. Yeah. So yeah, that's how you would layer them now. You would basically take the, let's say the Hyros tracking one for the websites, and then you would take the you know, how to systematize my business custom search or custom intent keyword or segment, and then you would create a combined segment of both of those because you can piece them up together in Google, and then it says, okay, here's the audience size, and it's usually much smaller, but it's more high intent. So I'm going to flip the question on you a little bit, flip the script here. Um, I, what is the thing outside of ads? What's one of the biggest leverage points that you've seen? Because you've worked with some huge names managing millions of dollars a month in spend. Like, what are some of the things outside of ads that you're like, people need to be doing this or either you won't work with them or it's like the ads could be at 2x if you're doing this, but if you're doing this, it could be at 10x. What are some of those things? Well, dude, I mean, most of the time it's always the sales team. 
it's literally always the sales team. Like it's always the sales team, the sales process, and the person who's managing the sales team or the constant friction between marketing and sales, right? Where we say, or they say the lead quality isn't good, but then we review the calls and then they're, they're not adding enough urgency and a scarcity, or they're just simply not, they're looking for one size fits all, which I think is a good thing too. Um, but it's always the sales process that bottlenecks everything, man. Um, or sometimes it's actually the leader, the leader themselves uh, in their own in their own mindset. But besides those two things, with YouTube ads specifically, yeah, it's always been the creative. However, outside of the ads, sales team, sales process, and then sales leadership is always the biggest thing, which is why I love working with Cole because Cole has been a, a phenomenal referral partner for us, for our clients. Whenever they don't have their sales process or their sales team dialed in, Cole Gordon, for everyone listening, uh, we always refer our clients usually to Cole so he can help them with those sales, with those systems. And uh, and like some of the big things on the sales process side, is it like- um, They're not calling the leads within the first five to 10 minutes of the leads coming in. So it's appointment setters you're including inside a of that? Appointment setters, 100%, yeah. And- yeah, it's funny. I heard I learned this uh, this the terminology from Jeremy Haynes, yeah. uh, who's a, a good friend and also someone that I, I I'm in his mastermind as well. He calls them fat cat closers, right? The people that just take inbound calls, right? And obviously, if you have appointment setters, they're solving that problem. But between the calls that are, I mean, a lot of them aren't showing up. Most of the time, there's going to be a no show rate. Most of the time, there's going to be calls that get canceled. And then, so let's say you only have three calls in your calendar that day. Well, how else are you ban managing your time? Are you actually following up with the leads that you didn't close the first time? Are you actually reaching out to the leads that are coming in with your closers and with your appointments? So it's always a mix of those just habits that people got away from when it comes to like door-to-door -door sales and cold calling mm -hmm. that they're not doing anymore. And they're, they're really just relying on the paid ads to get them qualified leads on their calendar that are ready to close right now. Yeah. And, and I always tell my team, like, at that point, I don't need you. I, I'll just take an order taker. And I also, can get my mom to do yeah, this. It's literally order takers. And also the other thing to answer your question as well is the lead to purchase window. This is a terminology that I learned from Eric Huberman, who owns uh, Hawk Media, one of the biggest uh, marketing agencies in the entire North America. Hawk Media, uh, he talks about in his book, The Hawk Method, the lead to purchase window. So everybody has, like, from the moment someone opts in to your uh, funnel from ads, right, there's a, you have to calculate the number of days on average and the percentage between those days, how long it takes them to actually convert into a high paying client. So for example, we did this with all of our clients. We looked at, okay, from the moment someone opts into X client's funnel, right? How long is it taking them on average to convert? Within the first 30 days, only about 50% of them were actually converting. Then from day, or sorry, the first 14 days from a high ticket book of call funnel, 50% of them were converting in the first uh, 14 days. But then after 14 days, it goes from day 14 to day 60. That's when like the other 33% are converting. Wow. And then day 60 to like day 180 is like the other however much percent percentage that was when we did the calculation for, for all of our clients. And for one particular, I was like, guys, now that we have this, which we do for all of our clients, how can we condense this nurturing window to be even tighter so that we can bump this 50% in the first 14 days to 60%. Which like, would be huge for the business. 100%, right? And a lot of the time it's the nurturing, right? Because it's one thing to get the leads. Well, how's the lead nurturing process look like? Which you're really good at as well with your with your business. So you can talk about that. But it's like, that's a huge thing. And I learned that from Frank Kern because Frank was like, I was texting Frank Kern when he was uh, running his agency, ROAS.org. Yeah. And uh, he was doing lead gen as well. And we were talk talking about marketing agencies. And he was like, I forget how we got on the topic, but he was like, dude, any child can run, any, any child can run paid ads. Like any child can send traffic. The money is turning that lead into an actual client. Yep. And that's why he eventually transitioned like email marketing on top of what he was doing. And I was like, 
because it's like it's a lot easier to get someone with results with just emails. I can just come in and get them a better nurturing process. And so since I adapted that, and again, you could only do all those things if you work with a select amount of clients yeah. really, really closely, you yeah. know? And and you also realize that the majority of acquisition has has like the ads is one tenth of the process, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Like, so if if it's not, if your funnel, if you're listening to this right now, your funnel's breaking even or you're like 1.2 ROAS, it's there's a much bigger problem yes. than the targeting that you're doing and the uh, and the audiences and the creative that you're doing. It has yeah. to do with like your entire offer as a whole, which and is lot, actually yeah. the first thing that we do is revise people's offers. And a lot of people think they just need a media buyer. Well, it's just because I need just a YouTube ads media buyer who's a specialist, and they they always get that wrong. It's like a media buyer is just going to put the push the buttons. Yeah, right? <laughs> they're going to optimize the targeting. They're going to tweak the campaigns. They're going to analyze the data. They're not going to write the ad scripts because there's not there's not that's not their zone of genius. And you need someone who can see the full process from start to finish, which is why agencies sometimes get a bad rep. And for the most part, if they're incentivized on ad spend, yeah, it's, it's there's a reason why. But you have to work with someone who knows the full process from start to finish. Yeah, it's so funny you even say that. I just, yesterday morning, uh, you know, we have a lot of cohesion between our sales and our marketing team. And so our sales team was like, hey, you know, a lot of people are, are giving us objections because they want to wait or they're thinking about working with, uh, you know, they want to hire a media buyer. Someone mm. said to get a media buyer. And so I just drafted up this document uh, and then I did an hour and 10 long minute video to go along with it, walking through exactly what you just said. I was like, a media buyer is a button pusher. Yeah. And it's not disrespect to the media yeah. buyer, but it's that you have a bigger problem than yeah. getting someone to just click a button and increase ad spend. You only need a media buyer when your funnel's converting. It's already working. It's already working. You just need someone to manage it for you. And exactly. Just send you the data. Oh my God. I love it. Brian, epic, epic podcast, my man. This has been really great to have you on here. I've learned quite a bit as well. We're going to have to have you back on again on a part two. I want to go a little bit deeper into TikTok ads as well. Uh, people that are listening to this right now, a lot of high ticket people, a lot of people running online businesses. Um, I know you put out some awesome content on YouTube. I've Thanks, watched some man. of your stuff like breaking down other people's masterminds that you've been in. Uh, even the ones that I was at, I was like, oh, that's really cool. Uh, what's the best place for people to either learn from you or connect with you or even maybe work with you at adspend.com? 100%. Literally, if you guys want to check us out, adspend.com, A-D-S-P-E-N-D.com. Like Ravi mentioned, uh, my YouTube channel is just my name, Brian Moncada. Those are the two best places to learn more about what we do, who we help, and obviously get to know me better. You're going to have to tell me when we get off screen how much you paid for adspend.com. <laughs> I'm curious. What, oh, Sam yeah. told me what he paid for consulting.com. So awesome, guys. I hope you enjoyed the video uh, and I'll see you guys in the next one.